Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, this is Pod on the Time, the Athletics' Newcastle United podcast. I'm Taylor Payne, and I'm joined by two of the finest journalists that this podcast has to offer. Uh, George Cog and, and Chris Wolf are both here. How are we doing, George? Are we all right? I'm glad it's not last week anymore for a variety of reasons. I've got a sinking feeling in my stomach that Chris may may provide some some further detail, but. Um, yeah, what with um, locking myself out of my own house, being part of a really chaotic podcast that would have had listeners switching off in droves. I mean, that assumes that they were listening in droves in the first place, but maybe. <laughs> That's very true. Drove is a good segue as well, as I'm sure Chris will explain. Chris, how are you? You all right? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like a very good Samaritan this this Monday, because uh, on, on Friday, George and I met uh, David Iredida in the centre of Newcastle for a coffee to discuss ideas going forward. And I'd got the bus into town. It was obviously awful weather, absolutely peeing it down. And I just said I'd get the bus home. But George, being the very kind man that he is, absolutely insisted that, no, I've got the car, I'll give you a lift home. So first of all, he'd parked in the RVI multi-storey car park and forgot which floor he'd parked on. We came out of floor eight and he was like, no, no, it's not floor eight. We went up another three floors and then he realised that it was floor eight so we had to walk back down to eventually find his car. He was adamant to me it wasn't floor eight even though he said previously. So then George gives me a lift home very kindly. I get in my house. Ten minutes later, phone rings and George is George's on the other line. He's just like, uh, yeah, so I've just been going up, up the hill back towards my house and uh, just realised there's not enough petrol in the car and, and the car's the car's broken down on uh, oh going going God. up towards Gosforth on, on a church, church road next to South Gosforth uh, Metro. And so I had to, for the, I mean, I was excited because for the first time ever, I got to go and fill up a jerry can with petrol and then go and save George. Oh, so I've never, manly yeah, I've do. never done that before. So that, that was great. But then I just, it was it was seeing the image of as I came round the corner just next to South Gosforth Metro and George stood hapless, by the side of this car, just looking absolutely ludicrous as, as as he usually does, and yes, so rather than he'd given me a lift home, but then I had to come and rescue him, so that was uh, that was nice. I can't even. I can't, I've got nothing. Sometimes you've just got to like hold your hands up and accept responsibility and do your best to you know move on. And that's brilliant. Yeah, Chris. I mean, that was the. So it was incredibly stressful. I did just manage to pull off very, very steep hill. I'd still be there now if I hadn't like with miles of traffic behind us and a very nice person helped push the car to the side of the road i've never that's never happened to me before the worst bit about it though and also the best but the worst bit was chris turning in and i could honestly i saw his car but about three seconds before i saw his car i saw chris's shit-eating grin (laughs) knowing that this was something that i was going to have to live with forever um 
But yeah, got me out of big. And then the next day, I go out for a run, and I tore my calf. That was the other thing. That was the other thing. So I'm just very glad. I'm glad to put last week to bed. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for everything you've done. I think I think we're just all prepared and happy to move on and never mention any of that ever again. If anyone's been listening to the podcast in recent weeks, it's felt like George has been running on empty anyway. And I think <laughs> Jesus we've, we've pretty much uh, <laughs> we've pretty much put that to bed now. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah. I'm all good. And the world is a good place when Bruno Gimaraes is smiling. That's how I oh, feel yes. at the moment. And he certainly is. Uh, right then, shall we crack on, chaps? There's plenty to talk about. Let's do it. Come on. Let's do it. I didn't walk in. Uh, some very candid stuff from Eddie Howe about the season's injury crisis in his Forest pre-match press conference, Chris. Yes, so Howe was actually asked about... It, well, not issues in Newcastle, but going forward, it was sort of a question about how, will it take a few years for Newcastle, given FFP, to get where they want to be? And Howe was actually quite honest and said, even in three to four years' time, given the restrictions of FFP, we may not have the team that everyone wants. But he also discussed this season as a whole and, and, and things to have learned from it. And he used the term, the, the word mistakes, and referring to various things, including injuries. And he was pushed further on this and, and started discussing how uh, quite a lot of them have been freak injuries. Some of them have been due to sort of workload, which has been because of the the injuries and suspensions that have already been issues there for them. But then he also said that we have to learn from it, and and, and in future seasons that 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 maybe we will have to tweak things slightly, and that that every single injury we have checked out. And I mean, there's been an audit of of the of the medical department as it has been of every single part of the club, an ongoing audit, which really started post-takeover, but continues. And yeah, it was just interesting, because Howard never said that before this season. He'd never, he'd never actually offered that up, that he thought that mistakes had been made. He talked about re-injuring, players being re-injured. I mean, Isak's had several groin injuries. You've had yeah. Joe Willock, who's been injured a few times, but he never actually used, to use the word mistake is, 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 is quite loaded and, and, and was something that he offered up. So that was just interesting of his own accord that, that he basically said that. So he was forthright about injuries pre-match, but he was accused of being less than candid about Anthony Gordon's fitness. When it got to the post-match press conference, Chris, you asked him about that, didn't you? Well, I, th- I think my words were he hadn't trained to that point. He trained yesterday and trained well and felt fine. Um, but he did well to come through the game, considering um, he obviously left last week in a protective boot. To take people inside this, this sort of situation, so Friday's pre-match press conference... The press conference started with him being asked about Anthony Gordon and he said he hasn't trained this week. We don't think the injury is serious. We're very hopeful he could be back sooner rather than later. To which the follow-up question was then, oh, so when is, when is he going to train? And his response was, it's slightly unclear at this stage. We don't know. Alexander Isak, he actually ruled out of the match. But, and this is, I, I accept that we as potentially as a collective media may be presented it in a slightly different way, but every single person who left that room thought that that Eddie Howe had ruled Anthony Gordon out of the game it yeah. was it, it led on Sky it led on BBC News it was the the way we presented basically it seemed that Eddie Howe and we'd also had it from elsewhere Jacob reported as we said on the podcast last Thursday that people close to Gordon didn't think that he was going to be available at the weekend so that was the the sort of assumption and then it turns out that as the people as everyone gets off the team bus there is anthony gordon ready and, and, and available in the match yeah. day squad not only that he then is in the, the starting lineup an hour before kickoff and eddie howe actually said in his nufc tv interview because i think he was a bit perturbed by how some of this would be important he said i, I never lied now 
The, he, he didn't. You, you go back, and, and he's right. At no point did he actually exactly say that Anthony Gordon is not available. But I mean, he he was probably disingenuous at best about the the sort of training situation because seemingly Newcastle then went out and trained, and Anthony Gordon was there, and he probably knew that that was almost certainly knew that was going to be the case at that stage. But B, everyone else who left the room thought thought that that was that was the case, and and this is this is a situation we're getting with Eddie Howe injuries. You just have no idea. And I mean, the week before we had Jason Tindall saying that Alexander Isak had a chance of being available. So this is just the the sort of muddle that we got into but yeah it was it was a big positive for Gordon to be in there but it was also a very weird situation all around now I want to ask you about this George because this to me as a fan I find this hilarious right I think this is really funny as journalists this must boil your piss immensely when you're sitting in a press conference and you think the information is one way and it turns out to be another way I mean it, he didn't lie he told fibs kind of fibs but also you now know don't pick your FPL team based on anything that Eddie Howe says basically yeah, I I mean, I find it hilarious too. I mean, I don't do as many press conferences as Chris does. Now, I'm trying to sort of put myself back, I don't know, like 20 years ago. If I was in this situation where you're asking a manager a question and you get a, you continue to get sort of disingenuous answers and, you know, would I feel, would, would I sort of feel younger and more angry and and things like that? But I mean, I suppose we have to remember that the audience f- for those answers aren't, isn't us. It's it's the opposition team, exactly, yeah, exactly, and that's and you know it it is it's it's part of the pantomime. Now I remember when I think it was when he celebrated his two year anniversary as manager. He was asked to, he was he was said congratulations on your on your two year anniversary. I think it was Luke Edwards, our colleague and friend, who sort of said it and. Two years of uh, of telling Porkies about Newcastle's inju- you know injury situation, and he replied, "Thank you very much. That means a lot." <laughs> he's not he's not deliberately trying to mislead the media. He is de- deliberately trying to uh, mislead the opposition. And as Chris said, Jason Tindall had done it the other way with yeah. with Isak the week before. It's on us if we take it seriously. Now I'll put this into a very different context when Joe Kinnear. Uh, was manager of Newcastle it took a couple of quite hard lessons for me to understand that basically everything that came out of his mouth was just sort of fantasy and um, again I'm sure part of that was deliberate I'm sure he was he was laughing his head off about that with Mike Ashley behind the scenes and I think we were the target for that but it was things like you know oh yeah you know, the takeover's going to happen next week. Kevin Keegan's waiting behind the wings to come back as manager with Shearer as his number two. There's a D-Day for this, blah, blah, blah. It was quite a good lesson as a journalist where I, I would never come away from a press conference writing anything as fact anymore. So in other words, Newcastle United's takeover D-Day is happening on Friday would become Joe Kinnear has stated that Newcastle United's... And so... Probably as journalists, every time we write an injury story about Eddie Howe's Newcastle, it should be Eddie Howe has said that (laughs) Anthony Gordon is unlikely to be back. And it's like really clumsy when you write that. But, you know, I think we should all know by now that for him to say it's unclear when Anthony Gordon would return to training and it was effectively 10 minutes later (laughs) is, you know, but... I don't no, I don't mind that at all. I think um I'm, I might have done a few years ago, but I, I'm interested to know if Chris takes it seriously or can see the funny side. I don't know. I mean it is so ludicrous, I don't think you can be angry about it, can you? I, I can see the funny side and, and I admit that in the end, when when we look back, because all of us sat 
when we saw that Anthony Gordon had, had come off the team bus, we all then went, I, I immediately went back to look at the quote to be like, look, he said that he's going to, it's like, actually, you look back at the quote, he never actually definitively said that, whereas he did say Alex is out when he was referring to Alexander Isak. But at the same time, for everyone to have left the room yeah. and thought the same thing, that was the certainly the impression given. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see the funny side, but at the same time, if he's going to get, if, if there's going to be frustration internally at the club, as it seemed to be of it, it's like this. This is you, you've basically you've reaped what you've sown there. That that's essentially what is likely to happen at some point. I've mentioned it before. I've said before. Eventually, this injury sort of thing will catch up on you, and I just, I understand entirely why he does it. But at the same time, I think he could have again answered the question <laughs> in a different way without ruling him out or ruling him in, and without being slightly, as I say, disingenuous in some ways about it. I think it's important that managers shouldn't lie i mean i think that they shouldn't be caught lying and i, I think he and he didn't lie he didn't lie no no he no no said, you go back and he didn't actually lie no i think most of the time he's very clever and most of the time you ask him a question about injuries i mean not when someone immediately gets injured this is it's always about who might be playing or not playing that weekend you know he doesn't he doesn't sort of give misinformation straight after an, in, an injury he he smiles when he when he's asked the question and answers the question, and we all smile when we ask or answer the question. He's not going to tell us. It's about protecting the team. It's about <clears throat> having having a bit of a surprise for the opposition. And I think if you take it in that in that sense, it's absolutely fair game. And you do have to remember that you know um, that a lot of the time. The stuff that happens around managers is pantomime. It's it's you know they're they're sending messages out often to their own players, often to their own fans, sometimes to the opposition, and it's it's just part of the smokescreen. Absolutely right. Then let's crack on and talk about the football chaps because there's a lot to get through. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So we spoke last week about Newcastle finding a new shape, finding solutions to their problems, and Kieran Trippier showed that he could potentially be one of those uh, solutions, inverting slightly in possession and pushing Bruno further forward. It was a cracking start from the lads, wasn't it, uh, Chris? They were dominant in possession and they were looking dangerous. Yeah, so I mean, I'd said how I'd been told that Newcastle had been attempting something different in training and was it going to be a switch of system? Was it going to be? And when the team sheet came out, it actually looked like, oh no, actually he's just reverted to, he's just, all he's done is brought Callum Wilson in so he's got an out and out striker, but the system's going to be the same. I was quite disappointed it wasn't the flying V from the Mighty Ducks, you know, that uh, <laughs> just get everyone in a V and just run up the pitch in, in a line. I Quite disappointed it wasn't that. But then within, I mean, actually from the kickoff, you could see that the, the system was going to be different because Lewis Miley was stood in the deep lying position and Bruno yeah. actually took the kickoff to give it back to him. And, and it turned out that 
Bruno Gimaraes was nominally the sort of number eight on the left-hand side, but really, actually, he almost had a free rule, and at times in the first half, he was basically playing as number 10. I don't know if that came through on the TV, but that's basically what it was, that him and Longstaff were nominally number eight, but Longstaff tended to be a little bit deeper even than him. And then in possession, what happened was Lewis Miley was the number six, but it became, and I've had people tweeting to ask me to say this, so I'm going to say it, it became a double pivot. Mm. For two, it, was, it was almost <sighs> a three... Two, four, Listen to the one in possession. In his voice, George. I know. Listen to him. I know. This is the good stuff, isn't it? But it, but in possession, it was almost essentially a three-two-four-one, and it was that that Kieran Trippier came inside as an inverted fullback. Now that's something that obviously Man City have led the way with this, but Arsenal do it. Various other teams do it, and Newcastle did practice it throughout pre-season. There have been occasions when Kieran Trippier has done it. I mean, as you're going to hear in some of the audio afterwards, Eddie Howe suggested to me that this is something that they've been doing regularly in matches. Now, I think that's, again, he has done it on occasion, but it was how visible it was and how often and how um, prominent he was in that role during that first half against Nottingham Forest that made this so different. The way that Eddie Howe tried to combat the balance, which he says Newcastle lack with the present midfield. He says all the individuals are playing well, but the three the three of them don't necessarily blend together was essentially to add someone else into that midfield at times and that was Kieran Trippier to aid Lewis Miley in those deep line positions so Bruno as a six or an eight uh, have a little listen to this Chris asked him if Bruno could play in that advanced role more often in future this is brilliant yeah he can play in that position absolutely no doubt and he can play there very well but then we need to find a solution for, for the six and that needs to work for the team so uh, I'm always stuck in that uh, situation where I'm trying to find, work out what's best for the team, not for the individual. And the, I mean, another tweak to be the Cuban trivia was, was coming inside as almost a fullback. Is, is that something you've been working on too? That's something that's been there throughout the season. It was, it was more relevant today during that first half, but that's something that's been in as part of our game this year. That's a dig, George, isn't it? That's a dig. <laughs> Again, this is this is this is the other regular feature about Eddie's press conferences: disingenuous about injuries and absolute disdain for Christopher Woff, <laughs> my rescuer. So I have to stick up for him, but uh, totally take him at his word. Um, but it was so noticeable, wasn't it? How Trippier was stepping inside like that, and you know the reason for why we were discussing the need to. To make a change or possible need to make a change, the reason why that happened is that you know Newcastle still aren't finding a way to protect their own defence, and uh, has been much made of this graphic that was shown on the Sky Sports coverage, um, which is absolutely astonishing. You know, before and after Nick Pope's injury, where Newcastle are conceding the most goals in the Premier League, they've gone from a you know they've gone from the tightest defence in the Premier League before then, they've faced more shots than any other team since Nick Pope's injury. And, yeah, I think that sort of trippier thing is to try and find a way of bringing some solidity into the into that midfield when you've lost Joe Linton's uh, sort of muscle, when you've lost his aggression, when you've got two relatively similar players in Miley and Longstaff and trying to fill with it. I mean, ultimately, I'm not sure we can say it's worked because that those frailties are still there, but... I thought it was. I thought it was fascinating. And then they did change it later on as well, didn't they? Um, a, a, a pretty much a, a training ground masterpiece uh, for the first goal, Chris. And we're off to the races, aren't we? Bruno uh, playing further up, it pays off almost immediately. It's a lovely ball in by Trippier, and that is a stunning finish with the outside of the right foot. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know if it directly came from the fact that Bruno Gimraes was playing higher up, and I'll, we'll come on to that later on because I want to talk about the number six, number eight, because this is almost exactly the same goal as Newcastle scored against Brentford last season in terms of the same yeah. set-piece week. It actually looked like, and you, you mentioned the before about possession. Newcastle, I think it was the first 15 minutes, they had an 84% possession or something like that. They had really controlled proceedings without creating a lot of, of chances. But then... What I didn't understand from a Forest point of view is it, it surely Forest have watched Newcastle, and you know if Miguel Almiron is taking a corner, in. Miguel Almiron is not. It's, yeah, he's not swinging in the box, and Kieran Trippier is stood back at the halfway line, but nobody goes anywhere near him. And then actually, I think Almiron underhits yeah. the when he's first underhit. I thought, oh, what this is absolutely crap. This is going to be because it looked like the, the, the Forest player almost managed to get back, but there's a little check from Anthony yeah. Gordon, a little block as there is from Dan Byrne for Bruno Gamrish's winner as well, just outside the box. Dan Byrne does exactly the same. Block, that one, but we'll talk about that later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. And 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 so then Kieran Trippier somehow having sprinted to make sure he gets it, puts in what is an absolutely majestic yeah. ball to the back post where a late arriving Bruno Gamaraes comes and, and meets it first time volley, wonderful technique, sort of almost like flicks the ball back across yeah. Matt Sells. Yes, Matt Sells was in goal for Nottingham Forest, the former Newcastle United briefly goalkeeper. And that is now, I believe, the sixth set piece goal Newcastle have scored in the last four matches. So they've scored from five corners and one free kick. So really, this is a potent uh, weapon for them now. They really are scoring from it. They score later on, obviously, from Fabian Cher, which is also from a, from a set piece. And I think what's interesting about that is as well that of in those four games, I've scored 12 goals. None of them have been from a recognised striker. The only one from a forward, really, was Harvey Barnes. Sean Longstaff has scored three goals. Bruno Gamarais has scored two. Dan Burns got one. Cher's got three. Trippier has got one, Barnes has got one, and has been an own goal. So basically, Newcastle are now sharing the goals around as they very much need to, given the injuries to their strikers, as we're going to come on to. Yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant set piece, wasn't it? I'm just, just absolutely fabulous. Have to make mention of Trippier reaching double figures for assists. Um, the first Newcastle player to do so in the Premier League season since Lauren Robert. And again, this just sort of reiterates just how important he is to, to the team and why Newcastle was so adamant that he should stay in in January. I love the fact that in his post-match interview, Bruno paid tribute to Mad Dog. The Mad Dog, he called him. The Mad the Dog. Mad yeah, dog. To, the Mad Dog. I do think this is important because, you know, although we, you know, we kind of joke about Tyndall and the mahogany god, as, as I love to call him, but... Um, he is a really important part of the backroom team and set pieces are his domain and Newcastle have been really good at them. So huge tribute to pay to him. And Chris mentioned it there. I think now is the time to talk about this sort of Bruno debate. And in fact, you wrote about Bruno six or eight uh, afterwards, Chris, because he was picked out by Alan from work on match of the day yes. for his general involvement in the game. And from where I was sitting at home, it was like, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's further up the pitch. He might be sort of quarterbacking a bit less, but he's involved, he's intrinsic to it. But you've got a slightly different take, haven't you? Well, I, I do and I don't. I mean, my my the piece that I've written basically argues that Bruno Gimraes is, is absolutely vital to Newcastle wherever he plays. And that, and that is evident from the fact that since he's made his Premier League debut, Newcastle played seven matches, haven't won any of them. And that there isn't there, that isn't coincidental. That's why there's such fear about him getting this tenth yellow card. He's going to survive another eight matches. To be, otherwise, he he will miss two games. I mean, that's not going to happen, well, is it, Chris? Well, no, I mean, it's happen. every match you go into it thinking this is going to be the game where he did yeah. it, and it's amazing that he hasn't the last few, given the volume of, of, of yellow cards he had previously. But Eddie Howe seized Bruno Gimraes as like his perfect number six, and for so long, Bruno certainly privately, but also publicly, has talked about how he wants to be. He sees himself as a number eight. He wants to be higher at the pitch. He wants to score more goals. 
goals as he did during the second half of the first season when he signed, which really, throughout his entire career, is not something he's done very often. He, he isn't prolific. He never has been, other than that period there. There's this idea that you put him further forward because that's where he does his best work. That's where he can hurt teams. But for, for Newcastle... He isn't like a normal defensive midfielder, number six or centre back, as George would say, number six is. But as, as they call it in the in the, in the he isn't he isn't that sort of player. But what he does is he ghosts into sort of number eight spaces or the spaces there at yeah. certain points because people don't expect him to be there. And that's where he can really hurt opponents. That's what he did against Luton when he had those two wonderful crosses. He came forward from that deep lying midfield position. Now, if you look at Saturday's game, I thought he did relatively well but the two goals he actually scores one of which is from a set piece the other is actually as he's moved back to the number six position he'd already been moved back into that and he wins the ball high at the edge of the area and then scores the wonderful goal but actually his involvements in the match were fewer he didn't Newcastle's XG was actually significantly below Forrest I think it was like a third of whatever Forrest was it was like 0.5 and Forrest was like 1.58 he didn't create loads of opportunities now that's not having to go to him I thought he was very very good but he actually had the sixth most touches of any Newcastle player whereas usually he's only behind Kieran Trippier for touches in a match he had the sixth highest number of passes as well where again he's usually only behind Kieran Trippier and Sven Botman for that figure so he wasn't actually on the ball as much as he is and this is a very small sample size because it's an hour from Saturday, from Saturday's game I'm not saying he shouldn't play there more often but it was interesting when Howe was asked about both in response to me but also this he said he said Bruno gets targeted sometimes so to shift him there is to put him in a different role so that you can free up space elsewhere and maybe you will get on the ball and I think that that's what you're going to see going forward I think he's still likely to be the number six more often than not probably certainly at St James's Park and then away from home shifted around from time to time and have that midfield continuing to, to switch around I don't think it's that he just moves to number eight now he can clearly do a role in both but I actually think his best work albeit the body of evidence as far as significantly higher for that is probably in a deep lying position still just makes me more frustrated listening to Chris talk about that that again the Tonali situation because yeah. obviously the idea was that the two of them would revolve their roles in midfield if one goes forward the other holds back and things like that and again we didn't see that in all its glory at the start of the season because Tonali was still kind of getting to grips with things but you know now a few months down the line you can only sort of imagine what the two of them would have been like together the team is like a jigsaw again isn't it all the pieces aren't quite there or they're not in the right places and so I think it's totally understandable that the team has to be mixed around like this when Bruno plays he's absolutely the most important player on the pitch he always tends to be it's everything good about the team um and a way of kind of maximizing his uh his talent is is obviously really important i mean in that post-match interview bruno gimaraj was quite a long one he, he was also asked about sort of his celebration after his second goal which is why he jumped up on the advertised nodes and he puts his, his fingers into his ears now Basically, he said that that's to sort of almost because people talk about him too much. And then he was asked, "Is that is that referencing your future?" And he said, "Yes." And I, I thought that was intriguing because then he's asked about his sort of future, and a lot of people saying, "Oh yeah, you know, he's he's, he's silences critics and things like that." He wasn't exactly committal long term for Newcastle. He basically said, "I'm very happy here, and you know, we'll see what happens." But he didn't say I definitively will be here. And also, I, I sort of make reference to this in my piece as well. It's like it's part of that noise. It doesn't just come from nowhere. Part of that noise does come from Bruno Gimenez has some people around him who are very keen for his name to continue need to be out there PSG in January for example Real Madrid in Barcelona in, in previous windows and, th- and this this is the the sort the, there is a reason why we believe there is a release cause in his contract as well that this is it, it's Bruno Gimaraes has been brilliant for Newcastle and he is fully committed to them but as we've said previously the, the idea that he could be sold to help 
fund a, a rebuild this summer or in future windows is something which is still there and, and performances like this make you see exactly why that could be the case so I just thought it was interesting that he's talking about the noise as players often do but it's like that noise comes from somewhere yeah. and, and, and there's at least some people around you who are helping to add to that noise as well Absolutely so Eddie's uh, formation was a bit of a gamble wasn't it we already had looked a little bit uh, suspect on the counter attack uh, and Forrest's third big chance on, on the break so Alanga levelled the score now I've seen blame for this one uh, attributed three different players George on social media um, it, it's a difficult one isn't it Lewis Miley should do better Dubravka comes too quickly Dan Byrne gets burned completely by uh, Anthony Langer for pace yeah and so I mean so the other kind of section of Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday apart from you know his regular ding-dongs with Chris and telling Porky's about injuries was um, was sort of fielding questions about Dan Byrne and Dan Byrne's form obviously we go back to the Luton game gave away a penalty struggled and you know sort of seemed to be a lightning rod for the team's ills Eddie Howe listened to all of that and then did absolutely what he always does, yeah. which is pick Dan Byrne at left back. And it was an interesting decision and bold in some ways because Alanga had troubled Dan with his pace in the 3 1 game at St James's on Boxing Day. And there were moments again in this match, Alanga got past Dan, and then of course the equaliser comes, and you're thinking, oh dear, it's going to be another one of those days. I want to make reference to somebody on. Twitter, who um, before kickoff had said to me, can't wait for Dan Byrne to start, ruin my weekend, and then to be told by George Culkin that he's actually a really nice guy and gave ice creams to all the kids in Newcastle. I found that slightly irritating. But um, I think we all sort of feared the worst at that point. But, you know, Newcastle, as they do when they're playing well, found found a way to to deal with it. It was interesting that Anthony Gordon kind of comes across later in the match with his pace, and they were sort of doubling up on Alanga at various points. I think we mentioned the big block that Dan did for Bruno's second goal. I think by the time you get to the end of the game, you think, okay, well, that made sense. He made a big interception in, the, in injury time. As I well, made a huge interception at injury, injury time. I am a full, fully paid-up mem- uh, member of the Dan Byrne fan club, but you know, I do. I sort of think by the end of the game, you have to um, give him credit for coming through it and coming through it strongly. And um, I don't think you can argue that the decision was was at fault. But there were some there were some hairy moments. Dan is not a left back, and when he's up against quick wingers there can be trouble but they found a way they found a way to deal with it so yeah I just wanted to make that point I mean that goal as well the the, the first Forest equaliser was basically almost exactly how you would say to score against Newcastle if you were going to come up with the the, the way of how, how can Newcastle really be affected on the on the on the counter-attack that that was precisely it I mean Newcastle actually have the ball in the in the top right-hand corner of the pitch in the forest half. They give it away. Three passes later, one of which is to Morgan Gibbs-White, who ran the game at St. James's Park in acres of space in the middle of the pitch. He then plays through Anthony Alanga, who's beaten Byrne for pace, beats Botman for pace. Then Martin Dubravka, who quite often doesn't come, has decided to come and is actually left outside of his area in no man's land and can't really intervene, so the ball is, is put underneath him. But I thought what was interesting in Addy Howe's post-match press conference as well is that when he was asked about, he, he did talk about the balance still not being right and Newcastle being too open at times. And he was almost almost defending his own back four and kept on talking about the midfield being too open so he himself recognizes that even the changes he made they're still gonna have to to alter things going forward because it was it it was in possession they were in that that 
system and then immediately they give the ball away and suddenly Forest look very, very dangerous and they've scored more fast breaks than any team this season. So it wasn't really unsurprising given that they'd done it twice at St. James's that they were going to do it again in that match there. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Fabian Cher with another goal, George. Uh, another set piece, and that's a serious finish from him, isn't it? Lovely, controlled and calmed half volley in the bottom corner. Only Longstaff, Wilson, Isaac and Gordon have scored more goals than him this season. Now that's three. Yeah, brilliant. As Chris said, it's really important that other bits of the team chip in, particularly when there's problems with the strikers, as there has been, and a serious finish from a seriously sexy guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the goal settled my nerves a little bit, though, didn't it? There was a, there was a bit, of tri- bit of a tricky patch. Uh, and unfortunately, Hudson Adoy's shot deflects in off Lewis Miley. Uh, and we're reeling a little bit, aren't we? And things start to turn a little bit. Uh, Forrest come out the second half. They're very aggressive. They have a few chances. And then there's a big penalty shout, isn't there, Chris? If one year goes through. Alan Shearer thought it was a penalty on match of the day. I wasn't sure when I first saw it. He hasn't got control of the ball, has he? Where do you land on it? It's not so much the control of the ball where I'm not so sure about. I think Botman might get a little bit of a touch on him and then Dubravka possibly. It's sort of the way that it doesn't look. It looks like a, a one-year. Uh, a one-year, one sorry. Almost puts his leg into into Dubravka as well. I think it's a, one of those ones in the way that VAR should work where if it's given on the field, it shouldn't be overturned. Yeah. And if it isn't given on the pitch then therefore it also shouldn't be. And, and, and so therefore, I think that the correct decision stood. Uh, and There was a lot of analysis on match the day that, that Anthony Taylor referee wasn't close enough to the action. And there probably was a, a shred of truth in that. But but more of my issue with, if we take, regardless of whether it's a penalty or not, was how abysmal the whole spell of play was. Matt Sells has the ball, punts a long ball forward. Sven Botman's caught in basically no man's land. Doesn't go, And either him nor Cher go up to win the ball. He's then beaten for pace. And then again, at this point, Dubravka, maybe because he'd been burned the first time when he came for the, for the opening goal, doesn't come, ends up staying on his line. And then, it, really, I mean, he should score. Really, Newcastle should concede at that point. And it was very, very basic defending 
issues there again structural issues where it just looked terrible all around that was more my issue with it I understand yeah. Forrest fans may argue to the blue in the face should it be a penalty Forrest should have scored regardless and that was because of Newcastle's defensive failings in that moment for me I think the one year takes a shit touch and he knows it's going out of play and he kind of leaves his leg in that's that's how it looked to me on on repeated viewings but I can see why they would be a little bit uh, disgruntled about that um, Eddie Howe did say though we, we showed our character and determination uh, to win the game uh, Bruno with that last goal George you've already mentioned Dan Burns and stellar work of being a human brick wall uh, on the edge of the box. Uh, it's a canny finish as well, isn't it? It is. I mean, we didn't mention the quality of Bruno's first first goal, which was you know with the outside of his boot. Oh, I did. Did he? Yeah, and no, I said it was a beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. Well, so. I wasn't. I wasn't listening. I'll rephrase that then. Um, I mean, I wasn't listening at the start of the pod when we talked about um, Bruno's brilliant finish. So I just thought I should, I should, I should draw attention to that, mm, yes. um, just in case either of you two didn't didn't bother. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I I think that that character and determination, it's a sort of cliche, but I think what happened the week before where they've gone ahead twice and been peg, pegged back twice and then exactly the same things happened again, you know, there were sort of echoes of that and they had to kind of grit their way through it and they did it. So I think that's an, an important statement. And then you, you know, you look at the form in general and the form in general has been has been decent. It's just the way Newcastle are getting to that form has been like absolutely all over the place. I mean, I said in our sort of immediate match piece that Chris and I compiled after the match that you know it's like chaos is their identity. It's not intensity anymore. It's like chaos, yeah. and it totally is. They're conceding so many goals. They're scoring goals. I don't think this is like. Eddie Howe saying, "Okay, this is my inner Kevin Keegan coming out here. Let's just are you do not this. entertained? George? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Because I think he would be as irritated as hell by those concessions. <laughs> yeah. But if they find a way through and pick up wins, then that's good. It just feels a little bit unsustainable at the moment. Yes, yes, it absolutely does. Uh, and it's not a Newcastle match, Chris, is it? Without at least one more injury worry, uh, two this time though. Jacob Murphy had a bit of a, a tight cough and was stuck on the sidelines. Callum Wilson's arm as well. That's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, so Murphy was during the warm-up, I think, that Han Howe said he used the term unusable for him being able, unable to bring him on. And then Callum Wilson, the physios rushed on at the end, and Howe said the good news is that the, the pretty shirt wasn't his shoulder, but it seemed to be an arm muscle injury. Again, he did. He said he didn't know how serious at that point they were, they were going to look into it. But, I mean, it's just it's just frustrating and concerning that, that basically Wilson certainly can't stay fit at the minute. Obviously, Isak unavailable, a doubt for next weekend still at this stage. Newcastle can't buy a break in attack and it's becoming a, a real concern because, as George and I have both said, other players have stepped up, but eventually you need your centre-forwards to be on the pitch. They they make such a difference. And I also thought throughout the game, and that I think this is partly because, he hasn't again, he hasn't played that much recently, I, I thought that Wilson wasn't quite... Well, he certainly wasn't prominent in proceedings. He didn't really have a chance of a note. And uh, and that's, again, he needs he needs consistent football to be able to build up that form again. He looks like he's lacking a bit of sharpness to he, you, Chris. He, he looked very immobile, I thought. Some of that, you know, I think that's totally understandable after time out. And I think he just needs that regular playing to kind of get sharp. But he didn't look like the player that we know he is at Forest. So hopefully this injury is okay and it doesn't stop him being involved against Bournemouth. And... Yeah, again, hopefully we see the benefit of 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 more minutes. But yeah, it wasn't the Conan Wilson we know and love, was it? Certainly not. Uh, we are only five points worse off than we were at this time last season, though. It's not quite Armageddon, is it, Chris? No, I mean, it, 
as George touched upon, it's very odd the way that you sort of assess how Newcastle are at the minute because you, you, you look at previous results and they've actually won the last four away games in all competitions when they basically couldn't buy a win away from home until 2024 and, and now they've done very well there. They've scored at least twice in each of their past seven matches in all competitions but they've also had no clean sheets in seven league games. They've conceded 18 during that time. They they are having to, they had to score four at home to get a draw against Luton. They've had to score three away from home to beat Nottingham Forest. That, that doesn't feel sustainable and speaking to people in and around the coaching staff basically they've said that we know that that is an issue we know defensively we simply have to sort that out because this won't we can't just keep getting ourselves out of this position and it, suddenly the league table does look a heck of a lot more positive I mean the Castle are, are, are seventh they're, they've, they've, they're ahead of West Ham on goal difference they're, but they're five points behind Man United in, in sixth and I, when people have said that about the five I've seen a lot about that five points and that is interesting in itself given that you compare one season to the other the difference is that this season there are a lot more teams higher up who have a greater number of points so getting into that top five is going to be more difficult Afton Villa have 46 points there in fifth Newcastle have 36 and seventh at this point last season Newcastle after 24 games had 41 points they were sixth but Spurs who'd played two more matches had 45 points in fourth there's a difference in terms of the way the league table is and that's the problem Newcastle have is that because of their teams are performing better because Liverpool have recovered this season because Aston Villa are doing well because Man United are doing well there is a larger gap to, to bridge but it, it does put it into context how well relatively results wise Newcastle have actually recovered and done I think basically if you actually take out certainly December and maybe it's the first week in January Actually, for large parts of the season, beyond the first month and then that period in winter, Newcastle have gone on some very good runs and hopefully they're going to go on one between now and the end of the season. They just happen to have a disastrous December, which has really affected their current league position. Newcastle just aren't drawing games, are they? I mean, it's like a ridiculously low number compared to last season. Is it three draws this season, I think? And so they three just draws, yeah. yeah, so they just haven't picked up those points, you know, every now and again that they need to sort of do. I think that's one reason for the points differential. And that kind of feels like a bit like the sort of the whole identity of the team. They're either winning or they're losing and we're either feeling great or we're feeling uh, sort of, you know, disappointed. And I think if you take a step back, I think some of these games have been really good. I mean, not that we're neutrals, but if you're just looking at those games from from outside the team, you would think that Newcastle are kind of playing well and um, they've kind of cast off the shackles a bit. I don't think it is the case. I think the case is that they're a work in progress and they haven't quite found a formula that works. I think you go back to the start of the season, it's been like that consistently, whether you include Tonali in that, whether you include the signings they made during the summer. And then, yes, they obviously haven't been able to use January this time as a way of improving things and helping matters. So it's just been a tough, tough spell. But, I mean, I don't care about them conceding as long as they keep winning. I think that's fine. It just, you know, I think they do have to try and find a way of of shoring themselves up, though, because ugh, I'm just arguing absolutely against what I've just said there, because <laughs> that means I do care. Um, what was I saying? What am I talking about there? Taylor and I have probably already discussed it in the podcast and you weren't listening so it doesn't matter does it yeah just fucking just end <laughs> word salad there we go. words <clears throat> just say words the end Are we good? is that how we're finishing that is it is that how the analysis of Newcastle and Evie Nottingham Forest is finishing <laughs> is that it I think it's important that our listeners get an insight into my brain and that was that's, that's, a, that's an accurate one so. fair enough right I don't want to be unlike Eddie Howe I don't want to be disingenuous about my own brain so there we go just words that don't end in as meaningless spew of word vomit 
What I will say is George Colkin definitely won't be fit for the next podcast. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, I think I just need to take myself out of the firing line. I think that might be where it is. I think I've become the I'm the Dan Byrne. I, th- I think I'm the Dan Byrne of this podcast. You need it's a rest, like, George. Let's be honest. Need I need a rest. A rest. Pe- people are people are saying that there's like this there's this young kid on the bench. He's desperate to make a mark, and he's always performed admirably, and, you know, admirably when he's came in, hasn't he? And he's always done well. So yeah. Slightly out of yeah. position, you know. He's left. He's left Newcastle. We're talking about Jacob here, but I think I just. I think for the good of the team, I have to. I have to break several bones in my own back and not appear for a while. You mentioned the Dan Bay thing, George. You didn't. We didn't. I didn't actually say why you'd driven into Newcastle on Friday. Well, so I drove into Newcastle on Friday to pick up my Dan Byrne boot, which I bid for at Brilliant. the Newcastle United Foundation silent auction, and I won it. Fabulous. So that's going to take pride of place on my wall. Right, let's have a quick break, lads, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Come on, you Maggies. Right then, chaps, on to Becky Langley's lasses against Burnley. Potts will take it, it's a low one. Lavelle saves, but the follow-up is there to be tapped home. And Newcastle take a 1-0 lead. Burnley, I'm afraid, have a little bit of a mountain to climb now. McQuaid turns away from Hamer twice and then gets the pass to Stobbs. Barker will get the shot away, tipped onto the bar, and then Marshall with a back pass. Could be any of about five here. It is touched to Bailey Gale and into the net it goes. Moves in field and gets the pass away to McQuaid. McQuaid cuts inside and gets the shot away. And that will surely put to bed any doubts of a Burnley comeback. I don't think we can overstate how much of a brilliant result this was, George. Fuck, Absolutely incredible. Took an hour to break the deadlock. Casey Elson uh, did just that. And Paige Bailey-Gill continues her stellar start with Newcastle as well. A brilliant day for the lasses. Absolutely fantastic. It was just such a massive game. Burnley have been sort of chasing Newcastle down uh, all season. They've been overhauled in the past couple of weeks by by Nottingham Forest. But um, just a massive match, uh, a massive win. I think they didn't have it all their own way. Um, they had to kind of withstand some pressure, but the difference was clinical in front of goal. They were patient, and you know they t- they took their chances when they could. And it's just in the context of the season, it's massive. Now Burnley still have a couple of games in hand on them, um, but they're on twenty six points, and Newcastle are on thirty seven points, and they have a seven point gap over Forest, who also uh, have played one game less. So it's absolutely back in their hands now so after that hiccup against against Forest it's absolutely back in their hands it's just been a brilliant uh, response to that disappointment and yeah I mean they're sort of doing everything that the men aren't doing at the minute they're they're keeping clean sheets they're scoring goals they're clinical and yeah brilliant Absolutely, new signings as well, adding to the talent uh, already here. Jasmine Quaid sealed uh, sealed the, the result with another goal from the bench. Essentially, she's an academy graduate, isn't she? Uh, and she's absolutely on fire at the minute. Yeah, it's what you need. I mean, so as we've said before, in terms of FFP, Newcastle not affected in terms of the women's team, which is great. So they were able to make four signings last month. And, you know, strengthening from a position of strength, which is an absolutely brilliant thing to be able to do, to have that sort of luxury. And so what you want when you do that is for, A, those players to have a have an impact, 
and then B, the players who are already here to respond to the challenge to their own places in the team. And so far, so good. As you mentioned, Paige Bailey-Gale has had a brilliant start in front of goal. And then, yeah, Jazz McCade came on. Brilliant. So many of the players, though, that you could mention after that match. Just really exciting. Yeah. Obviously, we know we know now that the Portsmouth game in a couple of weeks is going to be at St. James's. That's, it's just come at a great, great time. So... Long, long may that continue. Absolutely flying at the minute, the lasses. Uh, right then, I think that's just about it. Maybe it's one more point. Um, I've got a really boring note here about a Premier League vote on associated club rules. Um, let's, uh, who should we go to with it? Uh, Chris, Premier League club rules on associated parties. Come on. Yes, I am the bearer of both boring and negative news, as, as usual. Um, <laughs> so this was a two-day Premier League meeting last week, Thursday and Friday, and what came from it was there was a vote, which I think was pretty contentious. I think, that by all accounts, it seemed that there was a lot of disagreement within the room, and there seems to be two split camps now in the Premier League. And the vote just about passed. I think there was 12 for, six against, and two abstentions. And when clubs abstain, you usually need a two-thirds majority. But when clubs abstain, then the two-thirds majority reduces. And Newcastle voted against this, alongside other clubs like Man City. And But it, the, the rule has passed, and, and these associated party transaction rules already exist but what this has done is that they strengthen them further and mean that Newcastle going forward with the commercial deals and the like will have to show even greater evidence if they have any deals struck with PIF owned companies the likes of Seller and beyond that they they are fair market value and so really this is these rules were brought in post takeover almost immediately post takeover in some ways at least some at Newcastle see just to restrict them and seemingly they are they've become tighter and that will only make Newcastle's FFP challenges going forward probably even more difficult. Wonderful stuff right then I think that's just about it chaps. Uh, have we got anything else nice planned for the rest of the week Chris are you off uh, rescuing any more motorists in distress or anything like that? Well I'm, I, I was hoping that George was going to donate Dan Burns boot to me as you know for, for being his saviour but uh, we'll just we'll just wait on that front I mean he just he just owes me so much now and uh, I will certainly be loading that over him for eternity. What could RAC be a shortcut for with if the final letter stands for Chris? Rescuing automobile Chris. No, re- rescuer. No. Rescue. Tell you what, I'm just going to have some no. time off. I'm just going to lie down in a darkened room for, yeah, it's probably for maybe idea. a week. Is that, t- is that okay? Yes, absolutely. I think you should definitely do that. I do like the idea of reframing Chris as some sort of superhero, though. I, I, I'm very keen on that. What um, do you mean, reframing? <laughs> but no, let, come on, Chris. Let's be honest. If you were getting mugged, who's the last person that you'd want to turn up? George. <laughs> it's it was his grin that was the thing it's like i rang him straight away because i knew he would come to my rescue and he did and it was like it was it was the uh oh, so reliable so good he rang me straight away yeah i filled it up on my way and on my way it's like very very reassuring but that that i mean it was like jason tyndall's grin it was it was like i just saw his teeth and it was like i'm never going to be allowed to forget this and so far, I've been proven correct. I mean, I can't remember, as we've established, beyond any reasonable doubt on this podcast, I forget everything, <laughs> but I'm not going to be able to forget that. That car appears to be being driven by stage. a Cheshire cat. <laughs> uh, right, then, that's it. Thanks very much. Cheers, lads. Thanks, Chris, for your time. You're very welcome. Have a good week, everyone. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much, George. See you in seven days' time and not before. Beautiful stuff. Uh, right, get in touch. At Pod on the Tyne on Twitter or X and email us at podonthetyne at theathletic.com. We'll speak to you later on in the week. From everybody at Pod on the Time, take care. Goodbye.
The Athletic.